Welcome to episode four of the Exposition Break podcast, your home for video game news, critiques, and industry analysis. I'm Blake Foley, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Sean Gandert. How are you doing today, Sean? Doing all right. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, This is episode four. We've made it this far, and we'll hopefully keep trucking along. Um, Today's episode is about dead cells, I believe, right? Uh, No. No? Really? No, no. Oh. Uh, we, we're here to talk about Breath of the Wild. I know that you have lost interest in that and all other games yeah. since starting Dead Cells, <laughs> but uh, I haven't played Dead Cells. I've watched one little video online and was like, it looks pretty fun. I don't need to watch more. <laughs> all right. Well, I will throw out these notes then and flip over to what you shared with me uh today yes breath of the wild but before we dive into breath of the wild let's talk a little bit about what we have been playing uh why don't you give me a quick update uh i haven't been playing dead cells i've been uh i'm a bit further in mario odyssey i i've passed the new donk city which to me it's kind of the centerpiece and it leads to so many interesting questions like is mario a human and i asked heather that uh my wife and she was just like yeah he's just a weird human it's just weird (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) yeah he looks like nobody else in that thing but at the same time um pauline doesn't really look like anyone else in that world either so there's there's some weird weird questions about all that yeah that's a i really it is a strange part i i really enjoyed playing through her weird song and such it, it's just i don't know uh, i don't here's my argument and we'll talk about this more i think we'll we should probably do an episode about it at the the future i don't think it's a great game i think it's a fun game so a fun game would, or a fine game sorry i think it's fun I think it's yes. I think it's fun and I I enjoy going around. I don't think it's inspired and maybe okay. that's something we can even get into with Breath of the Wild, but there's there's a big difference to me from what I see those. But I I, I have fun jumping around in it, go see a new level, beat up a bunny for some reason kind of unclear to me and continue. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can, I can see that. Like as far as someone that, you know, We've talked about it even in the short history of this podcast. You know, I'm not a huge fan of the 3D Marios except for Mario 64. And I had a big smile on my face playing Mario Odyssey because I think it was just a fun game. So it, I, it's I also think the closest it. to 64. It's It's yes. got a lot of that. Uh, so if you like 64 and say you haven't played any 3D Mario in 18 years or whatever, yeah, you'll like it. And I, mm-hmm. I think you'd be hard pressed to like for practically anyone to dislike it but i i don't think it's inspired and uh but then i've been for some of our other stuff for the site i've been going back through metal gear solid uh that game is uh it is very different uh to look at it a second time so that's actually an interesting experience uh that's cool that's cool. I'm glad you're working your way back through it. I played through it most of the way pretty recently myself as we dive back into writing about it. I think I'm right before the Metal Gear boss fight near the end. Um, so I'll be diving back into that myself. And yeah, hopefully soon we'll actually be recording an episode on that too. Yeah, I I think um, 
it's an interesting game when you know what's going to happen. Uh, whenever, when you see the beats coming and you're kind of reading, so much of it is dialogue based and there are twists. So it's a lot like watching a movie when you, when you know the plot beforehand, you know, watch Fight Club a second time. It's a different film. So yeah, you look uh, for the hints. Exactly. And it's interesting to see how much is there and how controlled it is. I think it feels very out of control the first time because the things that are happening are so wild. And so the second time going through, it's like, no, actually, it's weirdly tight, which is not what I really thought the first time through. Um, I, it's, it's, it's been fun and I, I look forward to you know getting through that. And then um, one other thing I've been playing, uh, I see a note in the... Uh, <laughs> here that says oh no but i've been there's a hearthstone expansion that dropped on tuesday uh it's called boomsday and uh one of the things that i actually like about it is normally hearthstone is like in the world of warcraft universe and this is the first time it's been themed not off of things from like warcraft and all those games uh it's all themed after a previous card in hearthstone that was so popular that they kind of did an expansion based off of it. So it's kind of getting the game its own identity. Yeah, regardless oh, of mechanics, you know, it's cool. That's really interesting. I, you know, I think that was part of the issue also I had when I tried playing it way back when during beta is I've played no Warcraft, no World of Warcraft. So a lot of that stuff just kind of fell flat on me. So it, never grabbed me as far as a lore perspective or you know art perspective or anything like that it's interesting to hear that it is developing its own identity yeah i i kind of like it drifting you know it's it automatically is so much goofier than warcraft and warcraft or you know not that it doesn't have a lot of a sense of humor but like ultimately it's still high fantasy there's a warlord there's betrayal there's dark magic and everything Hearthstone expansion, uh, one thing is that every single card has flavor text. Every single card, that means, has a joke in every single okay. set. We're talking about thousands of one-liner jokes at this point in time. <laughs> and, and like a lot of the time, the art is really goofy. Um, there's a really powerful card that exists not because of like anything in the Warcraft universe, but it exists because of a pun. And you're like, all right it's it seems yeah it's getting its own identity it's building on itself and it feels um it's feeling healthy so i've been enjoying that uh not worth going into any more depth but uh yeah i think i think it's pretty fun okay i'd ask actually one more question about it so a little while back a key member of that team departed from the team mm. and it's hard to tell at this point you know, if he, I mean, I imagine his, you know, fingerprints are still on this expansion, but do you have any thoughts on that? Has, has his departure changed this anyway? Do you notice anything that's fundamentally different? I, I think the main thing, he seemed a little bit more committed to, I wouldn't even say balance, but, um, uh, I think his stuff uh, tended to be a little bit more in control of what the possibilities are. There are so many one-turn kill combos in the current set. It's it's kind of uh, 
it's ridiculous. <laughs> there's a card. Okay. There's a card that exists in it that's basically uh, just a puzzle card. Figure out how to one turn kill with different decks. Um, so I feel like he was a lot more interested in terms of minion combat, like getting the board, getting control, making smart choices. Um, this one, it there were so many cards in the pre-release where everyone was like, "Is this gonna break it?" Is this going to be the card that breaks it? We don't know which card is going to break the game, but one of these ones are. And I feel like he kept a little bit tighter reins on that in the past of just like okay. keeping the things that would just. He there didn't used to be like a year ago. Hearthstone had zero one turn kill decks. Right now, I would say that there's half a dozen viable like tournament viable one turn kill decks, which is really nuts. So okay, I, I do think that there is a difference. Oddly, for we'll see how it goes in the future as time moves on. But I, I do think that it's changing. Losing the the head uh, head developer is changing things a bit. Oh. Okay, I, I hope it works out. <laughs> um, so I guess on my end, um, I I'm gonna say I finished Hollow Knight. Uh, we talked about it briefly. I actually didn't finish Hollow Knight. I got to the final boss, fought it once, and decided I was done. Um, it, I could have beat him, um, but I had been previously stuck on a boss before that that took me 15 to 20 tries, probably. And finally beat it, got to the next boss, who was the final boss, and just said, you know what? I, well, actually, I... After dying once that boss, I looked up what it would take to get the quote unquote, you know, real ending because I had heard that there were multiple endings to that game and saw that it would probably be at least another eight to 10 hours of playing and fighting bosses and all that kind of stuff and decided I didn't even need to see the fake ending for myself. I'll YouTube it here at some point. But as much as my experience with Hollow Knight sucked at the very end in that way, that game is still probably the closest thing I've seen to a Souls game without being a weird direct knockoff. It has its own identity. It does some storytelling beats that I think are extremely Souls-like. And even though I had a sour experience at the very end, I do think it's worth checking out for people. Ultimately, aside from that being the final boss, there are also some Souls bosses that have a kind of a similar experience. I remember there was the one in Bloodborne in the expansion where you're just like, eh, you know, uh, I don't need to beat this and oh well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I had an experience in Dark Souls 2, uh, the giant king, uh, totally optional boss you could fight outside. I tried a couple times and I was like, you know what? I could spend three hours and I, I, I'm good enough at these where if I, if I really devoted myself, I could do it in three hours probably. Um, is that an enjoyable three hours? No. So yeah, that was just, it is yeah. like the value of my time just wound up being like, you know what? I'll, you know, this is kind of bad, but you know what? I'll YouTube the ending. I've gotten enough out of this game. I spent at least 20 some hours on that game. I was happy that I got that much time out of it and I enjoyed a lot of it. But the I think the difference between Souls games is I recall the boss you're talking about in Dark Souls 2. Or wait, never mind. I'm thinking of a Dark Souls 3 boss that you still need to play. Um, <laughs> that is near the very end of that game and it's an optional boss, et cetera, et cetera. And 
the key there was I was able to summon help. It's, um, it's, it, no, it is a really, really big thing. Um, being able to summon help and feel like, you know what, I get still get to experience the whole thing, even though I'm not going to develop uh, five hours of grinding against this. Uh, I can play with someone who did. And, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that's just it. There's a lot of talk about whether or not Dark Souls should have an easy mode, and it's arguable that it does, which is summoning people. I think if they needed to make an increasingly bigger easy mode, it would just make summoning people that much easier. Um, if, if, even if it's just an AI-controlled partner to just say, okay, I am stuck, I'm going to get help. Um, Hollow Knight doesn't have that, but it was a very neat game. Its lore is unique, and it didn't feel like a me a copycat of dark souls, but still felt like something influenced by dark souls. And I thought that was really neat. Unlike, um, Sultan sanctuary, which I'll admit I haven't played yet, but it seems so much to be trying to remake a 2d dark souls that it is less interesting to me as a result. Yeah. I, I saw that and I was like, meh. And then kind of like, in which reminded me of the 3D Dark Souls Me Too thing. I can't remember what that one was like, Dark Souls but Grimmer, where it was kind of like, <laughs> um, okay, I see that you can do this, but um, I, I don't know. Uh, I would, I want something unique and interesting. Whenever something becomes just a genre, you want it to do something new. And like, if Dark Souls is a genre, even in two D, uh, just switching to two D isn't enough. You need some some sort of other twist. And it seems like Hollow Knight really did that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've also been playing Final Fantasy three. Um, not, I don't have a ton to say about that. I decided to play it instead of. Um, octopath traveler on switch um Mm. octopath was getting a lot of praise but i think you and i discussed online while we were just chatting one day that you know why why buy that 60 dollars game when there's a few you know universally praised rpgs i've still never touched um and final fantasy 3 also final fantasy 6 um is one that I've never played. I've played, you know, two slash four and loved that one. And I've gotten into that and or I've gotten into three and I've been playing through that and it's really, really good. It's impressive. And I, I can't wait to play more. Uh, how far are you at this point? Um, I am just after not far after the team gets split up. Um, there's that river raft ride where you end up fighting okay, a sea monster. Okay. Yeah, I'm not super far yeah. in, but the team just got split up, and um, now I'm actually I'm following Seven right now. So it's it's, been I, good. it's an interesting point where, um, like, at 16 bit, I was thinking about this with Metal Gear Solid and watching kind of console games get to have real stories. And I feel like Final Fantasy VI or three is one of the big ones. Metal Gear Solid's another. Where like um, PC had that for a long time, but real stories took a very long time to hit console. And uh, Final Fantasy three, I I also didn't finish it. It's a very long game, um, but I just enjoy uh, watching those characters do their 
do their doofy things. I enjoy the villain being super villainously <laughs> cackling at you at every time you Kafka. every time you feel. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, I I legitimately like the whole cast, which is uh, like something i wish people would bring back for rpgs make an entirely you know it's it's fun to hang around with them and see what they're doing you didn't love snow and hope in final fantasy 13 oh god uh no not so much not so much i'm gonna be a hero i'm gonna murder this guy because reasons yeah. uh it's it's weird to me though like the limitations there should be no way you can have such flatter characters when you're of no limitations for writing versus uh, these fan- Final Fantasy characters where, like, uh, your text box can only be so big, you know? Yeah, Just right. fit on the cartridge. Well, I mean, that's the thing. That's an interesting thing about Octopath is they released their demo where you could play three-ish hours of the game. And I downloaded that and played some of it. And, you know... Uh, localization issues aside the whole thou art going to with the i don't know whatever there's one character in that game that talks silly i'm not going to say shakespearean like everyone online seems to be saying because it's not even that it is a ridiculous translation that is tedious to read but the issue is like i load that game up and every character it's meant to be a retro style rpg and every character just drones on and on and on and while playing final fantasy 6 it's they only have so much space and it is well written i understand their motivations and they get to the point i don't need you know pages of exposition in an 8 bit or sorry 16 bit ish rpg the story no one gets tedious like in in final fantasy 3 i I never get tired of them yeah that's just it and then there's even a point and i i I put it up on our twitter feed there's a point where sabin there is a character that's talking like that character in octopath where he's if thou thus you know blah blah blah. you know i don't i don't mean to make myself sound like a layman i've taken many many shakespeare classes throughout college and all that kind of stuff i like shakespeare a lot but that's shakespeare we don't need to copy it and Final Fantasy 3 even makes fun of characters that talk that way. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing you played, of course, back uh, back to this, Dead Cells. Oh, yes. Um, Dead Cells, I mean, it, it has consumed me. And even for the last hour before we even started recording this, um, I had, you know, the best run I've had. So I was engrossed. And... That game has grabbed me in a way that a game since Spelunky probably hasn't, uh, or has, sorry. Um, it's a roguelike. It's also very Metro- Metroidvania-like. So in I'm not, I don't mean to, I'm not the biggest roguelike fan even. You know, I've played a few in my time, but Dead Cells is really good. And there hasn't been a time in years since i've looked at a game and thought to myself so many times man that is a really good idea it is a game that values like it doesn't put up barriers the user interface is rock solid it wants it's a hard game that knows it's hard 
so it puts as few other barriers in your way as possible. Even little things like I want to quickly, you know, I'm managing my inventory. I want to quickly swap the hands that my two weapons are on is a single <laughs> button press. And little things like that are what make the difference. Um, maybe we'll talk about it in the future when you you get around to playing it because I'm going to insist that you do. Um <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this this to me, I don't know if you remember back when I started playing Spelunky and it was all I talked about. Um, I, I love this game and there are just so many great ideas. And I'll bring up a single example and we can move on. But one thing that I really enjoy is the way it paces itself. Um, the first level is the first level of any game. And especially in a roguelike, you're going to get sick of certain levels. So what the game does is as you've played more of that level, you eventually unlock an ability, um, Metroidvania-esque, that lets you branch the path so that you can then suddenly start seeing new things. So as you start getting sick of that level, you can go, okay, I want to go to a new place. And you can start doing that due to an ability you've unlocked that is permanent. And then beyond that, as you even get further sick of that level, the game gives you an incentive to actually rush through that level because there is a timed gate in level two that if you make it through level one in less than two minutes and make it to that gate, you can then unlock more resources than level one will get you. The 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 give and take risk reward being to get those to cash in those resources you make it need to make it to the end of level two but it keeps doing things like that that basically you know anytime you start feeling like eh, it gives you a new option and i've really been enjoying that part of it it sounds like um you know we you mentioned earlier about with hollow knight and and bosses and respecting your time it sounds like it really respects your time and it's kind of like we understand that at this point in in a, a roguelike formula you get bored so how do we get how do we stop that from happening well okay well now mm-hmm. you're getting bored of that way so now let's give you another way and kind of keep feeding you ways to keep uh what could otherwise become dull uh uh interesting you know and i think that yeah. sounds very cool yeah and even in later levels i keep seeing things that i don't have the proper ability to deal with and that that's interesting because I know eventually that's going to give me a branching path. So, yeah, I've been having a ton of fun with that. Um, I've beat two of the bosses now. I died afterward, but I look forward to diving right back into that game. Um, I've been playing it on Switch. I will say my latest run is the first run I've played on an actual TV while docked. And I will say that is by far the furthest I've made it. So maybe mm. that is is the best way to play it is just because you have a bigger screen and a better controller. And yeah, it, I, I can't ignore that I've made it twice as far. So mm. um, it, it is a great game and I recommend it. Cool. And then uh, there's one other thing, but I don't really want to talk much about it. But we we both been playing a little Dying Light, hopefully some more this weekend. Uh, but I don't feel like I have much of a... I both don't have that much to say about it yet, and I also don't feel like I'm far enough to say very much. Like, we're, what, the intro was like an hour and a half for me, and then we played another two hours. So that's it. 
Yeah, I think the only thing I would say is, you know, we, we kind of briefly touched on it in a previous episode, but we started playing it in a lot of ways because Avalon is mm-hmm. working on the sequel. And the interesting thing I found is as, you know, shortly after starting playing it, I wasn't sure how he would be a fit for the franchise because, you know, I knew it to just be kind of a zombie-ish game. But n- having played Fallout New Vegas and other games that he has worked on, um, as soon as I was playing it, I could see, even though they didn't necessarily mimic things that he would do, I could see where he could insert himself and make this thing something better. Yeah, I could. I mean, mostly when we've been playing, I've seen so much potential, which hasn't been meant that Dying Light has been bad, but and it it's weird. It doesn't feel like a prototype, but it does feel like a first game. You know, it does feel like yeah. um, there is a lot that they can, that can be taken to turn the next game into something actually really, really cool. So, Yeah, I think it's funny you bring up a prototype because i think dead island was actually the prototype and this is the continuation but this one does feel like a real game whereas dead island Mm. felt like you know we made an open world we weren't quite sure what to do with it we made an awesome trailer and that's the thing that got us attention this one does feel like a cool game the uh parkour stuff i think is successful some of the time and like 80 90 percent of the time maybe even higher maybe like 95 it's only uh, you notice that 5% that it's not working how you want it to, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, the rest of the time it actually does work. So Yes. And I still have to say I, ha- I had to laugh when the game would told me about, you know, hey, here's how you parkour. And I had forgotten <laughs> about the word parkour probably since Assassin's Creed 2. Uh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, I definitely also thought of the office while playing it. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta, I just want to say, have my character have to say parkour, parkour sometimes, but yeah. Parkour, parkour. <laughs> I do think games, I, I brought this up a while back, but I think games could make some money after, after selling some really cheap DLC that gives you a button prompt to say certain things like back with watchdogs. I wanted a button that made my character say I'm Batman. I, I want this game to also have a button that says parkour, parkour. So yeah. Anyway, (laughs) I'm a marketing genius, but um, moving on breath of the wild. Um, I played it a little while back, right when it came out, I bought a switch right at release and played it. Uh, you've just finished it recently. So I guess what's the best way to hop into this? Probably just describing what specifically it is and how it's different from other Zelda games. Yeah, it, it's a, I think the big thing everyone talks about is that the fact that it's an open world Zelda game. So you are, you wake up, you're given a, I guess not really anything. You're given a shirt and uh, <laughs> you just told to run outside and do a couple little small tasks, but mostly you're given a shirt. You find a stick outside and a if shirt, you so choose a shirt uh, and an iPad. Yeah. The iPad is pretty important. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> ultimately it's bet. It sounds better when you say a shirt and an iPad, when the truth is you're given a shirt and a Wii U. <laughs> That is fair. Yes. <laughs> Which, you know, 
the main question you have then is the Wii U, unlike the Switch, can't be played on its own. So where where is he hiding his little dock? But anyhow, that's it's not a, it's a little pouch on his waist. Something, uh, something. It's the power yeah. of Princess Zelda. So you are given uh, very little, and uh, you're just kind of uh, you can find a stick outside. If you want to hit some enemies, you can smack them with your stick. If you smack them with your stick, you can take their stick that they dropped and smack them with that. And uh, I don't know. I I find. Um, even compared to other open world games, I feel like it's a little bit difficult to describe, despite the way um, in my uh, Bachelor Party last year when you brought it, all of us instantly kind of clicked to what it was as soon as you brought it out. Mm-hmm. It's it's a funny thing because before release, they there were interviews and other things that stated that they had been playing things like Skyrim. They had been playing other open world games and that, to be quite frank, had me very worried. As someone that likes open world games quite a bit, the last thing I wanted from Zelda was a Me Too game. And once that game was out, that was the last thing it was. It was an open world game that was definitely a Nintendo open world game. What? So what does that mean, a Nintendo one? And, and <laughs> I know that... To me, part of it is what I dislike about a lot of open world games. Is they uh, they tend to not have very much friction, uh, if that means anything. So, like this is true both like an Elder Scrolls, uh, Bethesda Sword, and Rockstar Sword. Both of them are kind of um, I can go anywhere, but I'm kind of not in the world to a certain extent. I'm kind of. Uh, uh, it's all a little bit floaty. I, I pass through a lot of the objects, and I, I get that for so many open-world things in the past, but what does nintendo mean to you? I mean, I think you kind of touched on it. The other one you left out was Ubisoft Open Worlds, which is Assassin's Creed, mm. etc. And so many of those games seem to have a checklist. Um, you know, Elder Scrolls, uh, Skyrim, fills your map with icons, uh assassin's creed literally gives you a checklist at times of here's all these things you need to gather uh grand theft auto is a much more we'll say guided experience of here's your next mission marker etc uh breath of the wild in so many cases is just here's the world get out there and do stuff and discover things at your own pace Uh, one of one of the i think the the things that define so versus an ubisoft the classic thing is uh, assassin's creed you climb to the top of a tower marks your map and you still have climbed to the top of the tower in uh, zelda but one of the things that's really interesting to me is that you have to mark the map yourself and mm-hmm. one of the ways in which you mark it is you literally look around and you hit a button and you say ah that is a thing I want to go to. So you mark it mm-hmm. that way. And I'll shoot a beam of light so you can see it otherwise. The other thing is, even though it fills in some of the squiggles, it won't name the things on your map until you go there. So like, this looks like a wooded area. You don't know that it's like Ferone Woods or whatever, and that it has these ruins until you literally wander through them. So it's kind of, you get a 
the map is almost like a spoiler in a in a certain sense. It's it's like ah, here's some possibilities, but it doesn't really fill in those possibilities for you. You still have to actually go there, uh, which is uh, yeah, different. And I I think what you mentioned about the checklist is really interesting because my brain likes checklists. I like checking the thing off; it feels good, but I don't find that fun. I it's yeah. good for the OCD, but it isn't good for making me want to be excited to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as someone, I feel—I mean, correct me if I'm wrong—but I've I've enjoyed more open world games than you have. You've been more definitely, uh, <laughs> definitely. Yes, <laughs> you know, there is definitely something to appreciate in Breath of the Wild. You know, it it is it feels you know and they they brought this up themselves this is by no means a revelation on my part or your part but it does harken back to a time of the first zelda of a here you go go find stuff and that felt really cool it it was a i mean i don't feel like this world's words overused but it was kind of magical to jump in there and just see how much was out there and not have a objective marker put in your face of go here right now. I, when you say that one of the things that uh, I learned later about their development was that the world part of the design was they decided where they wanted these certain things to be for, uh, and we can talk about the dungeon content and the quest stuff, but there is a main quest and uh, you don't actually have to do a lot of it, but it's there. But they, when they found that people were always doing the main quest stuff very straight line, that people could see, ah, I go X, Y, Z, do, everyone did it in the same order they found with testing, they literally built up landmarks. So they'd be like, okay, well, then we need to put a mountain here. We need to put a lake here and a river here to block people from seeing the obvious route. And they weren't happy until the testers would take the, the game in a different order from one another, mm-hmm. which I thought was really, really interesting. I spent a long time early on, you get off the first cliff, and I spent a long time wandering around the deserts, very ill-equipped, um, and uh, just because it seemed a lot easier and straightforward than other things. Uh uh, when I started going back towards more of the quest content, it was completely in the opposite direction. But I had already done a bunch of the desert area just because, uh, I don't know, it, it seemed more on par with what I was up for at that moment. And I, I felt like that spoke very highly of what they were trying to achieve. Make people go, if people see a mountain in the middle of the road, if half the people go right, half the people go left, and then a couple people try to go over it, then we have three different routes through. And how do you design towards all of them? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think my first thing I did after I got off the plateau was go and try and tame a horse. And that kind of led me on its own path. I eventually found my my way to the Zoras, I think was the first, you know, kind of dungeon content I made it to. Um. The things, you know, the notes here are the things that we really liked. And I think that kind of mixes with the next note of what what didn't work. I'm curious, I'm going to kind of jump ahead here, is I'd argue that the first few hours of that game 
you know, in, it's a lot of hours. I'm not going to say it's, you know, just the first hour or anything like that. I think it's you know, like 10 or so hours are by far the strongest. I'm curious your opinion on that. Um, yeah, I think, I think a lot of that, I think I particularly enjoyed it even past, uh, when I'd gone through this, the Zoras, I think it wasn't until after I'd kind of gone through the Goran area, which is dependent on how you go, but often the second big dungeon. Um, uh, I do think that the, the game has a drop off. But I I don't know. I ended up uncertain exactly why, besides the fact that new systems are always more exciting and there are only so many systems in the game. Like, it, it's actually a very deceptively simple game. And I like mm-hmm. that they didn't try to add a bunch of ridiculous stuff to keep that going later on. But at the same time... Uh, once you've fought a group of um, bokoblins, uh, changing the cover, changing the color of the bokoblins so they're tougher, while you use a sword that's stronger, is still the same fight. Mm-hmm. And and so that's one of the main limitations that you hit very early on. It's like it's really exciting the first like few times you're gonna go fight a bokoblin. Uh, camp and you look at how to do it in an interesting way but after you've done it five interesting ways you just kind of walk in with a sword and go i'm good yeah yeah i mean that was my experience is yeah i could sit on this hilltop and plan rolling a boulder down the hill which is something they kind of seem to have crafted early on i feel like as you got further into game those kind of for lack of a better word, set piece moments where they clearly set up a few options for you kind of started to give way to just, you know, shoot a few exploding arrows in there and then deal with the stragglers kind of became the general situation. And I think the game systems, while super interesting, because they didn't adapt to them as you got further into the game, became a little bit tedious um, but you still, again, can't ignore how interesting the systems were. And that is what really does make the game magical is how, you know, metal always conducts electricity and you can use that in puzzle solving. You can, you know, rolling a boulder downhill can have its own thing. You can fight a monster by using magnesis to pick up a metal crate and smack it in the side of the head. There are just so many options at most times. And I found this true of a lot of games that give you a bunch of options is you find what kind of works. And then you do eventually just kind of settle into a rhythm. And I think that is the kind of biggest drawback of Breath of the Wild. Yeah, I think that that's that's definitely one of the issues is you figure out how you like to play it and the the first like 10 hours are the most exciting because you don't really know what that is um you don't know what type of fighter you are and then yeah eventually you you kind of get into that and that part is less interesting uh what maintained my interest that compared to and this is a surprise because i tend to not like open world games is i actually i explored every corner of the map I um, think I ended with something like 110 shrines. I really went out into um, an area and just kind of 
enjoyed wandering and seeing it and i i at somewhat of a loss to figure out why i found that more enjoyable here than in a bethesda game or in an assassin's creed game and actually i've uh you know assassin's creed has i i would argue that of all of the open world developers ubisoft probably when it comes to just the detail of like buildings and such is probably the best um they they seem to be the high water mark yeah i mean i think you bring up a good point of you know elder scrolls versus ubisoft games and each one has their own take on open world um versus versus even nintendo um i i remember talking you still haven't played skyrim and I, i'm not sure if you ever even will i'm not sure if it's your type of game but i think the last one you played was oblivion mm-hmm. and i think one of the biggest barriers in that game is is how it's not a seamless game at all you're constantly hitting loading screens you're constantly you just can't explore the, the way that you can in breath of the wild i think once you get to things like skyrim you still have the loading screens and all that kind of stuff, but it does open up a little bit in the way that you can then just start discovering things on your own. I think Skyrim still has a bit of that interesting discovery of I'm in this corner of the map and I found this little crafted thing that maybe only a certain percentage of the people found. And I do find that exciting about Skyrim in a way that I did find Breath of the Wild mostly exciting, except I think my issue with Breath of the Wild and I don't mean this to sound like I'm crapping all over this game. I did love it. But once beyond finding shrines, it was hard throughout Breath of the Wild to go, what's the point? Yeah. Um, there, there. Well, so I think one of the difficulties of the game's systems is it wants to reward you with weapons. And weapons are the mm-hmm. least useful reward imaginable. It, it, yeah. It's... It's such a strange thing. You'd think that weapons would be... Um, you need more powerful weapons, to, especially as the game continues leveling up and scaling up. And uh, basic weapons do literally nothing to any of, the, uh, any of the later enemies. But because everything breaks so easily, it feels like no reward at all. Um, yeah, I mean, you get you get a cool weapon, and any cool weapon I got, I went back and hung on the wall in my house, and that's partially a personal issue. I'll I'll give it that, but it just felt like, why would I waste this now? I might need it later, and I found that so often about games that have durability issues of just like finding the right moment of knowing when to use a powerful thing. And it's often hard to read when those moments are, and I think Breath of the Wild had that issue. This is like a very, I mean, yes, it's partially a personality thing, but this is a very well-known game design issue. Um, there's often, um, it's kind of a joked about game thing with game designers. You add in the one super powerful weapon that only has two, you, you can only get two of them in the entire game. Uh, how often will will those get used? Zero times. No one will mm-hmm. ever use them because they're too valuable to actually use. And a lot of the high-end weapons in Breath of the Wild end up being too valuable to use. I don't know when mm-hmm. else I'll find a 65 attack sword. They're impossible to find. I better hang this on my wall. And uh, mm-hmm. 
it, particularly because um, I don't know there are some very difficult high end enemies uh, but there isn't any particular reason to fight them usually your best thing to do is to run away and uh, uh, it's, it's a strange thing I enjoyed running around the world to see everything. And I, I mean, when you mentioned the shrines are the main reward, I loved finding the shrines. But I definitely, after about 100-some 100, 100 shrines, I hit a point where the ones that I was unable to find were so ridiculously hidden that wandering really lost a lot of its purpose to me. They were like... Um, I don't know. I think there are like 120 total in the game. And the last ones are like, uh, those ones you got a guide. You know, I don't think you can legitimately find them on your own. So I just stopped having as much fun wandering around and I, I finished the game. So one of the other weird things about this to me is, uh, so if we're talking about shrines, it's the structure of this, right? Um, yeah, there's a bunch of these mini dungeons. I think about 120, though I could be wrong. And I think the DLC added a few, but yeah. Yeah, and they all give you a permanent bonus of either health or stamina. And then there's four big dungeons, which are... Uh, I would actually argue that the areas leading up to the dungeons are part of them but uh yes essentially there are the the quest dungeons as well so those are the designed content and uh actually felt very similar to skyward sword to me uh i know that you did not like the main dungeons very much what did you think of the structure as a whole um you mean just the I mean, I liked how I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this. I mean, I didn't like the dungeons themselves. I liked how you approached them. I even liked, you know, the quests that you had to do to get to them. I just thought the dungeons themselves were pretty weak. And I also felt that they didn't really overall add much to the story of the game. They felt very generic to me like I mean, generic's even the wrong word it's a hard thing to really grasp it's like i think back to ocarina of time or other 3d zeldas the dungeons felt like real ish you know as much as they can places and these just felt like puzzle rooms in a way mm -hmm. that was less interesting than all the shrines that you had done previously so the shrines did what the dungeons were trying to do better and like the actual process of getting through them was just kind of a chore. The payoff, of course, was a ability that I think often helped make the rest of the, the traversal of the rest of the game more interesting and less tedious. But depending on the order of events that the order of the dungeons that you did, it could greatly influence your progress through the game. The ability you get from the um, flying dungeon is a major game changer in how you play that game and it might be the last one you get it's it's an interesting thing i like that the abilities 
are all pretty game breaking in different ways. Um, I I think my disappointment with the dungeons is a weird thing, partially because as much as Skyward Sword and uh, Twilight Princess had some serious issues with both of them, the Zelda team's dungeons were not the issues. They were really, really good dungeons in Skyward Sword, and except for the last dungeon in Twilight Princess, um, exceedingly good dungeons in that too. So I didn't dislike the Puzzle Room uh, beasts, but at the same time... uh, Well, I, I had two weird reactions. One of them was that at the same time, I would have loved to have seen dungeons on par with what the last few games had. At the same time, I also understood that it is very difficult to make full dungeons given the climbing mechanics, which breaks in various ways uh, your ability to do so much. Like Part of how the shrines work, they stripped all of your Divine Beast abilities, so you couldn't use your flying oftentimes you can't use any sort of climbing so they kind of feel apart from the game as a whole and like breath of the wild kind of has to cheat in order to make dungeon structures because the openness of the mechanics makes it so you can kind of break anything that they make in a traditional way Mm -hmm. yeah i I thought that was interesting but it's funny because yeah there are a lot of walls actually almost all of the walls in the dungeons and the the beasts were unclimbable and that that's fine (laughs) all of them but i still remember the last one i played which was the desert one the camel i broke the shit out of that dungeon because i had that flying mechanic and i just flew over certain gates that were long puzzles Mm-hmm. and like they still didn't quite button that up in the way that maybe they thought they did or maybe they knew i'm not even sure yeah i i feel like they would have to treat everything the way they treated the shrines and ultimately what i enjoyed more than that were the again like the areas leading up to things that were part of the quests so for instance in the zora one getting through getting to the zora area like that Mm -hmm. in and of itself is like an exciting little mission and you can use broken things to do it however you want to however you want to get there is fun um it feels both open and uh also designed at the same time and there's there's kind of different areas like that for each of the dungeons leading up to it that felt like influenced actually by a lot of the skyward sword stuff but i at at the same time i really wanted real dungeons i just also felt like their decision to do the design beasts was about the way it's so easy to break a traditional zelda dungeon using these mechanics Mm -hmm. um so I was disappointed, but I also understood the choice. Yeah, I, I I can see that. Like they, I mean, the game, you know, Breath of the Wild is a victim of its own successes in a lot of ways because the things that make it special are all of its systems and all the ways that it breaks the traditional Zelda template and defies expectations but all those things make it really, really, really hard to make a traditional Zelda game. 
and something that feels like Zelda as far as like dungeon structure and all those things kind of go. Uh, what did you think of the bosses in the dungeons themselves? Eh, yeah. <laughs> I think other people were happier with them than I was. I was, I was pretty mad on them. I tend to, eh, I didn't find very much interesting. It was, I think the, the desert one was slightly interesting because it was using the architecture of the area and you're having to move it around while during the fight. Mm -hmm. But other than that one, I don't recall any of them being, um, feeling in any way special. They felt, they, they, I, they were both easier than many of the enemies outside Mm -hmm and uh also less interesting which is a really strange thing to say but like there are legitimately enemies outside who are much 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 tougher mm-hmm. just in and a, more interesting just... to fight and you had more in like the enemies out in the world had played to the strengths of the game in that you could use the environment to fight them and most of these bosses were I mean, I think Breath of the Wild's actual actual combat of how it controls is probably the weakest in the franchise period. And when you're just put in a kind of one-on-one fighting situation, it just didn't make for an interesting fight, a memorable fight. I don't remember much at all about those fights, including the very, very end fighting Ganon himself until they put you on that horseback sequence. But even that was more just like, this is kind of underwhelming. You know, it's just kind of funny. Any, any chance they had or any attempt they made, I should say, of trying to bring things back to a traditional, you know, Zelda template dungeons, dungeon bosses, final encounters were all kind of the weakest parts of this game, in my opinion. Yeah, I, d- I tend to agree. And as much as I actually thought that Ganon's castle was fun. No, Ganon's uh, castle Ganon- was awesome. It felt like a... I mean, this is, it felt very Dark Souls to me, and I thought that was really neat about it. Well, it, it felt Dark Souls-y in some ways, but it also felt like, you know, when I was saying how much how difficult it is to make a dungeon, that was a dungeon made using these mechanics. And what they had to do in order to make that happen was make it really difficult. Mm-hmm. Make it so that you don't feel like you cheated by using all of your abilities and fit instead the cheating is the only way of really doing it. And uh, the difficulty of all of the Ganon area is a lot of contrast to how easy the, uh, the divine beast stuff is where you're just kind of like, yeah, I go through it. Uh, there's one time I was like, all right, I'm going to start this divine beast and I'll see how far I can get through it in an hour. I was like, Oh, I beat it and the boss mm-hmm. in an hour. That that's not a Zelda dungeon. That's like an epic dungeon. No. You know? Did was it worth the trade off? Would you would you prefer the shrines to having like let's say six big dungeons or or were the shrines enough? No, I think it's it's worth the trade off. The shrines were awesome. I mean, for everything that didn't work there's something that worked amazingly well 
in Breath of the Wild. And I think the shrines were awesome. Exploring the world was awesome. And, you know, my most memorable moments were the shrines. You know, that's kind of the thing. And finding the shrines, etc. So, yeah, I think it was worth it. And even though Breath of the Wild won't go down as one of my favorite Zeldas of all time, it's still a huge achievement that... I'm super glad existed and I think if you know I think back to Zelda games I replay and I replay Link to the Past I replay Ocarina of Time I replay Majora's Mask I've ever replayed Wind Wake I've replayed a bunch of them I don't picture myself doing a full replay of Breath of the Wild in the future but I do see Mm -hmm. myself replaying the first 10 hours of that game and still getting a lot out of that experience of just going around and doing shrines the things i'll ignore are the dungeons and the ending like there's there's a lot more i think the other stuff suffers due to how interesting the the shrines and the world are there's one more thing i want to talk about before getting out of getting a little bit more abstract but this is my big pet peeve for this and uh a lot of a lot of western rpgs usually but surprisingly this is that i hated the enemy scaling uh (laughs) and it's something we haven't mentioned but the enemies get harder as you get stronger Mm -hmm. and to me um i understand why that was a decision. I just think it was the wrong decision. And yeah. I would rather, I think the other option would have been to have harder enemies around certain areas of the game all the time. And I would have been happier with that. I'm 100% with you. I would have preferred to walk into areas and go, Oh crap, I'm not equipped for this and either mm-hmm. sneak my way through it or back out entirely. There is something nice you know you know you and i have talked about it about being able to walk into an area and just kind of stomp it because you've you've done the work you've put in the time and you talked about it earlier as we just started talking about all this is that you know the combat in the first hour doesn't change that much from the combat in the 50th hour because everything's skilled yeah you have a better sword but that enemy can take that much more damage so it does make all your growth and you know abilities seem that much more trivial and that's ultimately why i kind of stopped exploring is because i had done enough shrines to get the master sword i had enough health to beat the game why else you know short of seeing the shrine content is there a reason for me to keep proceeding and it did get to the point where i just wish i could thumb through a menu of shrines and just keep going oh yeah i i agree with you and i I actually, I wonder if Nintendo dislikes the idea of hitting areas where you're just, yeah, too, totally outmatched because they wanted the game to be like very, very, very open from the beginning. However, that gets warded off a lot by the environmental stuff and having to change clothes and buy clothes for the areas anyhow. So I, I would have been really happy if there are some corners of the game where um if you go there during the first 20 hours you get stomped but if you play there 50 hours in they're the correct level versus the you know it's kind of ridiculous to go back to the starting plateau 
the Great Plateau area and be fighting the same level of enemies as anywhere in the world. You're like, this is the tutorial area. Shouldn't I be able to just kind of waltz around in here and do what I want? Nope, nope. Same black bacoblins who are uh, have like more health than I do. Mm-hmm. So there's one last little thing I kind of wanted to get to before moving to a little bit more abstract thing. There, so outside of the more mechanical stuff, there's a couple other things. There's the story of the game, which I'm going to say was dumb, but that was true of the last of most Zeldas. <laughs> like, I, but also not even most Zeldas. I don't think Nintendo does story well. It's not a thing they have ever done well. Um, their co-developed stuff can have good stories, sure, but that's because they're not the people in charge of that. But Zeldas don't have good stories, and there's a lot of focus put on the story, especially within the expansion. And it, I don't know. I thought it mostly kind of just sucked. <laughs> I, I agree. Like The characters themselves weren't terribly interesting. The story they were telling had a great setup i guess i mean great maybe being a strong word but okay you know link's been awake asleep for a hundred years wakes up and everything's you know just bad and you know Mm. needs to make things right and i did appreciate like there are little things i did appreciate i appreciated that in some of the flashbacks princess zelda is like who's this clown you know like link wasn't the you know oh the savior there are times where she's like this guy's an idiot and i kind of appreciated that but overall overall it's just a you know it was super by the numbers ganon you know i i find it funny how much you know timeline enthusiasts and all other people you know really love the zelda lore when a lot of it is quite weak there's there's fun unique stuff about it but for the most part the stories they tell aren't worth worth very much at all um i think my favorite zelda story is probably split either between a link to the past or ocarina of time as far as you know telling the best story of any of those things but even then they're not amazing um the most unique of course being majora's mask and I mean, maybe that is the best one in my opinion. I'm not sure. It's a hard one to be like, this is a great story. I'm not sure what your opinion on that is. I, I think the, the main thing is I I ended up, there's a lot of time and energy by Nintendo that they put into the story here. And uh, it's always kind of like, you know, the memories and everything. It's kind of, a, it's another reward for doing certain things and uh eh, i your reward is terrible voice acting yeah i totally fine with things being more uh, one of the things about a link to the past is um it's basically it's so minimal you know the minimal you're you're mostly getting told the story through the world and i think that you'd get that through cutting all of the voice acting and everything uh cutting all of the i think you could cut all of the cutscenes and be fine and yeah i think you're right they, they don't add anything yeah and yeah you're definitely right there 
and I think that's kind of, you know, it goes back to what I was saying before we even started talking about Breath of the Wild with, um, with uh, Octopath Traveler is sometimes less is more. Mm. And, you know, I think what they put in Breath of the Wild wasn't very valuable in the end. Um, the story, short of the setup, doesn't matter. The setup being kind of interesting in that, you know, we lost. Like, okay, cool. And then the end point of we won. Those are the only points that matter. Everything else doesn't. So where does Nintendo go with Zelda from here? This is oh. one of the, this has been an interesting thing for me to think about is um unlike I don't know, they have a tendency to to make a new game for every, you know, every Zelda is very different from previous ones, which was one of the strong points of this of the series. This is the first Zelda game, I don't know, ever probably, where I've, I guess I felt similarly to a certain extent after Twilight Princess, but where I end up worrying about what comes in the future. <laughs> as, as weird no, as it I'm... sounds for a game I enjoyed to worry about that. No, I'm with you 100%. And part of that is Nintendo, but a lot of that is also fans. I, I worry that the next Zelda, I have a lot of faith that nintendo nintendo is good at looking at a game and going okay we did that and then moving on and i hope i really hope they do that with this one not because breath of the wild was a bad game it wasn't it was a great game but they've done it the last thing i want from them now is another giant open zelda game i want something different it can either be a throwback or it can be something new entirely but i know how fans can be and how quickly they can look at the math of things and how easy it will be once Nintendo reveals their next thing. If it isn't bigger than breath of the wild, the immediate narrative is going to be, Oh, they're lazy, you know, yeah. rather than, you know, they, people, a lot of people will want, okay, how much bigger is it than Breath of the Wild? And that is the least interesting and worst thing for the franchise moving forward, I think. I don't want a bigger. I actually, if I could ask them to do anything, uh, it would be something like a Majora's Math Breath of the Wild, where the map is a quarter of this size. And what you're doing within it is a tighter experience. Mm-hmm. Like I, I could, I could see these mechanics doing something different, but that you'd have to really change the experience and not make. If this game, if this Zelda is about exploration, I think that's cool, especially because Skyward Sword was the most funneled of any Zelda. It was Zelda as a corridor, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that either one of those is the direction the series has to be. Um, I'm looking for something new and I'm not looking for Breath of the Wild, but a different map. And yeah, uh, that's my I biggest I don't want Breath worry. of the Wild, but a different map. I also don't want Ocarina of Time again. I'd like something... As much as Breath of the Wild played off of the original Zelda, I'd like maybe even something more like the original Zelda, if that makes sense. Like the original zelda was still a little bit tighter than breath of the wild it wasn't quite as open and it was a little more crafted i'd like something 
with that much mystery i want something with all the mystery of breath of the wild and all the mystery of the original zelda but with tighter combat and more designed encounters if that makes sense i mean again i'm kind of coming around to re-describing dark souls as it inevitably comes up because you and i have talked about you know these Soulsborne games are kind of the modern take on zelda Mm -hmm. is another evolution of that and i i like that nintendo found a way of taking zelda in a direction that wasn't that because then we have more options but i i do miss having the tight combat and ultimately it's one of those things that i think is interesting is maybe zelda drifts a little bit apart from my interests as it's something where i play every mainline zelda game for a system i own uh i always have i can see myself um if their next zelda were we have two different uh abilities as well as your original abilities and a slightly bigger map than breath of the wild i would go i'm good yeah yeah i mean i'd play it eventually i mean the i think of the zelda games i haven't finished and those include the minish cap the multiplayer ones <laughs> and skyward sword i think is all of them and i don't actually i, I lost the thread of where i was going with that but um <laughs> it's i'm okay i guess the point is that i'm okay missing out on some of them in but if the next one is just more of the same i will pass on it i probably wouldn't beat it and i'd be disappointed but if that's what other people want and they get joy out of that great you know it's 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 a tough thing to really gauge but i do hope they find a new voice and find a new way to approach it i'd love it if they handed the franchise off to an entirely new studio to really take a look at and deconstruct if they gave it to retro or if they gave it to someone else I'd be really interested interested in seeing what that becomes. It's a weird thing where I would I would really love to see other studios take as much as I'm I'm impressed by what the same director is able to do to move from Skyward to Breath of the Wild, which are very 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 different games. But you know some of the things that Nintendo has not proven it's good at, which includes combat system. Um, what Nintendo game has a good combat system? Um, I, it would be exciting, you know. I, and I guess, you know, this comes from partially my disappointment with the uh, expansion content and wanting to see what they, um, where they could build things next. And I'm not sure if that was just issues there, but I, or if they're a little bit out of ideas. But I guess we'll see. Um, before we wrap this up, did, is there anything you want to address with the timeline? <laughs> um, mostly just that, you know, it, you know me, I love the Zelda timeline stuff. I love watching people try and deconstruct it. And recently new information came out apparently from Nintendo. That is they, they, their statement is, is breath of the wild is at the end. And that seems fine until you really think about the timeline if you know about the timeline you know that 
it has a it has three forks to it so saying it's at the end doesn't really make much sense and i find that really entertaining but it it was kind of evident from the very beginning one thing i enjoyed about playing through breath of the wild was looking at the map and looking at all the things that were kind of an amalgamation of all the different timelines of that franchise and just looking and kind of chuckling to myself that they don't care (laughs) you know the timeline is something they made because people were asking for it but they just made a zelda game and it just fits wherever they decide it does and that that's exactly the way i want them to make zelda as soon as they start making zelda games with the timeline directly in mind is when unless it's a direct sequel like majora's mask or something like that that even then the timeline doesn't matter too much then i'm kind of out like i don't find (laughs) the overarching zelda timeline interesting but i do like watching people try and deconstruct it i mean timelines of video games have only ever caused issues unless they're planned that way from the beginning the one of the worst things about metroid is the timeline Uh, (laughs) like it causes endless issues with what they're able to do and who they can put in what and with you fighting like a ghost of ridley or whatever it's just dumb it, it gets pretty dumb it gets pretty dumb and like it is funny that they haven't yet to make a metroid game post fusion because fusion does some pretty serious stuff to samus um she gets you know infected by a parasite and has to have her armor surgically removed and she's super vulnerable to all these things and apparently according to the narrative disfigured so it's kind of funny like they eventually just kind of wrote themselves into a corner and they're like well can't go beyond that guess it's time for prime four and then primes five through eight Mm -hmm. or other m which someday we'll talk about other m I think not anytime soon, but it would be pretty fun to do a discussion of the other M, the game we like that the internet does not. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think you and I both agree that these story bits are by far the weakest part of that. Oh, game. they're they're very and bad. Aren't... <laughs> yes, yes, they're weak, but I still think it's a good game. But yeah, what it tries to do to nest itself within Metroid lore is also what makes it kind of entertaining to me. So, yeah, someday we'll talk about that one. Um, But, yeah, I think briefly to touch on the you mentioned it briefly, but the expansion content of Breath of the Wild, not to dwell on it too much. Both you and I bounced off it quite a bit, I think. If anyone listening to this uh, is like, I should pick up this Breath of the Wild game, don't buy the expansion. Conversely, if anyone listening to this has played through the expansion content and loved it, please write in <laughs> to podcast at expositionbreak.com because I want to hear what you liked about it. I I hit a wall. I thought I was going to hit multiple walls, but I liked the idea of here. Here's a one hit weapon. Okay, cool. You die in one hit. Okay, that's kind of a neat, you know, mm-hmm. gameplay change. And that started to get a little bit tedious near the end, but I pushed through it. I pushed through the final shrine and finished that because all but the promise of we're going to get some new story content in a game that's, you know, as much as the story content wasn't great, it was also very story light. So I was interested to see what they did. 
And then it put me on a quest to analyze a bunch of maps and find certain landmarks by overanalyzing the map, but I couldn't save anything. So I had to go back and take pictures in my screenshot section of my switch. And it got extremely tedious very fast. And I was immediately reminded of the worst parts of other Zelda games like, uh, uh, Wind Waker or Twilight Princess. Wind Waker being looking for the Triforce, um, yeah, the uh, Triforce pieces, or Twilight Princess looking for the owl statues. Uh, Those moments when you're just pushing near the end of a game, and suddenly an end of a Zelda game. Zelda is often uh, guilty of this. I think even you said I never finished Skyward Sword, but it sounds like Skyward Sword even did it. Yep, it did. Where. <laughs> Where suddenly they're like, okay, the big bad, you're on your way, you're there, and then, oh, hold up, run around the map and find this stuff. And to me, that's always been the least interesting part. And it almost felt like, I don't know how this DLC was constructed, but it felt like they cut it from the main game. And I, maybe that isn't what happened. More than likely, they're just like, how do we put more gameplay into this game? But it felt like one of those sequences from the previous games that they had actually made the smart decision of removing and then (laughs) at the last minute put back in. Uh, I understand putting in content just for hardcore people, but that is not content for practically any people. And as with Mm -hmm. a lot of open world games have what I think of as design, um, less so Ubisoft ones, but um, they end up having design that is kind of for guides. It's for people working with a guide, which is just automatically bad content. Like, you should be able to, as a reasonable person, enjoy doing whatever here, and I don't feel that you can enjoy finding the things using a map without being able to save uh, as, as a reasonable person. And that's kind of... Yeah. Yeah, it felt it got to the point where I was like, I could look up a guide and I could get through this. It seemed like based on what I had seen around the Internet, my reward was going to be a motorcycle. Yeah, I'm assuming that's kind of the thing you get at the end. And due to I mean, part of it was the structure of Breath of the Wild itself made me think that the reward I was going to get for doing this, even beyond the motorcycle, wasn't going to be that worthwhile. And that was kind of the killer for me. And like, I think that's kind of the biggest thing about Breath of the Wild is like the overall, if you're playing it for the sake of playing it, it's great. If you're looking for any kind of reward out of it, it often falls flat. Yeah, you won't be rewarded except for the four quests. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, you'll do that. But every time you open a treasure chest, yeah, nothing, nothing particularly good is coming your way. And the rewards mm. from the expansion were, eh, who cares? So <laughs> I, I would love to hear from someone who really liked the expansion, but I don't know how many those people were. And initially I was like, I could yeah. kind of see, you know, through what they added, like it wasn't totally useless. I could see kind of what they're going for, but I don't think it was implemented well. And um uh, I don't know, DLC is often kind of a crapshoot. Um, I rarely have... I've learned by now that I have rarely felt that DLC made me enjoy a game more. Um, mm. 
I there's a handful of exceptions, but I think that they're mostly for Souls games. Um, okay. I guess like I think uh, Dishonored is an exception. They they had great DLC, but I am mostly with you. Is that yeah? A lot of it is kind of you know as someone that has been duped into buying a lot of expansion mm-hmm. passes over the years. I mean, it it maybe isn't even that the content's bad but by the time i reach the end of the game i'm often done i think that that is so much of it is that usually the expansion is just more and this is true of video games this is true of a lot of board games expansions more is not good usually when you hit the end point you're often rarely like how often do you finish a game and then go that was too short that's a very Mm -hmm. rare experience and so now you're it's very rare and i'm so happy when i do come across yeah. it so so you know it's it's nice when a game leaves me wanting more. yeah so usually the expansion content is i was already that last few hours i just kind of i don't know i finished it because i might as well and now there's 10 more hours of that mm-hmm. yep but I, th- I feel like I feel like that's pretty much it for Zelda. Uh, any final final Zelda thoughts? Um, I think my last thought is I'm hopeful that we can both agree, and I'm forgetting on the character's name, so that that's too bad. But the uh, blue parrot bird accordion player guy is wonderful, and I want more of him. And I like that you find him all around the map in weird places. I would be like mm-hmm. wandering I, islands and it's like, wait, there's that bird guy. What's he up to? Yeah. You just hear some music and you're like, he's here. He's here. And then I'd run up to him and talk to him and he'd play me a little song. And I liked him a whole lot. And I wish there was an amiibo. <laughs> All right. Hear that Nintendo make an amiibo. <laughs> the accordion guy whose name we don't remember. And he better be a top tier Smash Ultimate character. He'll probably be an assist trophy. He'll sing a song that'll make you uh, won't do anything, but he'll sing a song. Sounds good. He'll sing a song, then you have to solve a puzzle. Otherwise, hey, die. Fraser Crane's gonna be in the next Smash Brothers, and definitely that guy. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Do you have anything left to add? I, I think that I think I'm good. Okay. That's- Well, I think then that probably does it for this episode of the Exposition Break podcast. Um, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. If you have any thoughts or insights, please write into podcast at expositionbreak.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on Breath of the Wild, whether or not you think it's the roadmap for the Zelda moving forward, or if you think, you know, you want to see something else, you have an amazing idea. You, you think this franchise should move forward with, I'd love to hear it. If it needs a dark tone, if it needs a lighter tone, if we need more, you know, wind waker style stuff, I just, I'd love to hear what people think. If you have amazing timeline theories, please um, send that to (laughs) us. Um, Also, you know, visit expositionbreak.com for our written content. Uh, We're, further ramping that stuff up sean's gonna be putting up something for metal gear solid here soon i assume and i can't wait to see that and we'll start getting back and forth on that we need to get into metal gear solid 2 and further out there um follow us on twitter at exposition break and i want to thank icefields for the use of our theme music scenic route you can find his music on soundcloud and icefieldsmusic.com 
And our podcast, the Exposition Break podcast, can be found on Anchor, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher, and a few other platforms, Last FM, I believe. And we are still trying to sort out the iTunes issue. We'll be reaching out to Anchor Support and hopefully sorting that out sometime soon. We'll see what happens there. Um, anything else to add, Sean? Uh, hopefully I will write that Metal Gear piece in. So, yeah. <laughs> cool. And I'm, I'm actually hoping at this point to write something on Dead Cells, even though I'm far from the finish of it. I still oh, have nice. I still have thoughts on it. And if I wait till the end, I will lose those thoughts and they will just become too back of mind, I guess, is kind of the thing. I'll become too comfortable with them. So I want to write something while I'm thinking of it right now. So I'm going to try and get something out there on that. But... Otherwise, thanks everyone for listening, and we will talk to you later. I think our next episode might be on Spelunky, but we'll see what happens. Have a good night.